Welcome back to the Conversation Collection. I'm really excited about this one. This is a conversation that I had with Usman Ishak. He is a good friend of mine. We met in high school, uh, musical theater and choir and all of that, but we became really close friends. And he really speaks to an experience that has been shared by so many over the past year. Uh, the impact that the pandemic had on artists and creatives, the impact that it had on that entire industry that was completely devastated by the shutdowns. I mean, obviously, when you think about that, you think immediately of, of Broadway being shut down, and it's still shut down. It's been well over a year, and that's, you know, you think about all the people that work, not only in the cast, the crew, the ensemble, everyone that's involved in those shows, their industry was completely turned upside down, but it's so much bigger than Broadway. Broadway is just one piece of that industry. Think about live music, about bands, about dancers, about artists of any kind. You know, the the pandemic truly was an unprecedented moment for that industry. And for Usman, he graduated with a degree in musical theater from Ithaca, um, had five shows lined up for the year, and everything shut down overnight. And what do you do with that? How do you move forward? What happens when your passion, your skill set that you have worked on, your craft that you put so much of yourself into is no longer able to be used? You know, how do you navigate that? And he really speaks so eloquently about that. My hope is that this conversation gives anybody listening in any field the hope that as long as you stay persistent and stay focused and, and channel your gifts for good, you can make it out of that rut. You can make it out of that challenge. And that is what Usman has done and will continue to do. Um, it's really exciting to see the arts starting to come back and live music and, and all of these things that bring us so much joy. And uh, I really hope that everyone enjoys this conversation with him. We talk about all of that. We talk about high school and, and what that was like and how we met. We talk about, you know, holding on to your passions when you're not able to do them as frequently as you would like. We talk about typecasting. Uh, in the arts, we talk about the importance of, of supportive and uplifting teachers and how that can completely change the trajectory of someone's life. We talk about uh, not defining yourself by your profession and recognizing that your value is more than a paycheck. Um, it's a really awesome conversation. He's just the best and has so much insight to give. And I'm so, so excited that he's a part of this project. And that you all get to hear why he's awesome. All right, so we're going to get right into it. This is my conversation with Usman. <laughs> oh my God, it is so fantastic to see you, to be talking with you. I'm so excited to have you. Um, thank you a million times over for taking the time. I appreciate you. And... I'm really excited to get into a lot of different things today. But first, before anything, I just said your name, but could you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, my name is Osman. I'm uh, about to be 23, which is kind of crazy. 
um, graduated from college recently. Uh, from I'm, where, from where? From Ithaca College with a degree in musical theater, um, which I haven't had much opportunity to put to use just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have that with me. Um, currently, I don't know, I feel like lately, the in, in introductions, it's like name, where you're from, your age. Okay, so also Woodbridge, Virginia is where I'm at. And then like your profession, which kind of stinks because it's like there's so much more to us than our, our profession. So I'm a Taurus. Um, <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like to take hikes. Um, you know, I really right. like the queso from Cadoba more than Chipotle or Moe's. So take that at all the whitewashed Mexican food restaurants. Cadoba <laughs> takes the dub. On See, the one. thing with Cadoba that I cannot get behind is that I love sour cream and they don't have good sour cream. Yeah. So... Dude, I just go for the queso though, honestly, because it's fantastic queso. I don't know good. if you've ever tried it. Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. really good. They, they had a Cadoba on my college campus. Um, so definitely had some good over there, but you, you make a fantastic point. I love kind of starting um, a lot of these conversations with that question of introduce yourself. And I just kind of like let people flail because I despise that question. Right. I hate starting things out that way. I actually did a video interview um, yesterday where the first question was, tell me about yourself in 60 seconds, which I <laughs> do not like <laughs> i don't like that question what is it that you want to know there's a lot there um but you make such a good point that you get past the name where you went to school and your age and then it's kind of like there's there's a lot of layers to that question what what do you want to know right i mean it's it's challenging um because i feel like it really takes a lot to because i'm going to be telling you my judgment of myself um, but also like narcissistically the best person that I want you to see me as, you know, like I'm, I'm curating also just like most people do on Instagram, you know, Tinder, Twitter, <laughs> all these places. They're just trying to put on this version, but like, who are we? Currently, I'm pretty depressed, honestly. Like, let's talk about the real shit, okay? That's where I'm at. I'm feeling a super low right now because, as I stated earlier, my industry, my profession, the thing that I was really good at, that I was excelling at, is completely gone. So I'm at a bit of a loss, and I'm still dealing with the idea of, you know, being out of college and living at my mom's house and having to rely, you know, I, obviously I could take that jump of like, let me take a risk and move out on my own. But then it's a question of if I just hold off a couple more months, I can save up more money once my industry's back, if it's back. I can go and you know it do even more and I don't have to just I don't have to continue to do side jobs or jobs that I don't like. So in light of that, in light of that depressive state, I have found some source of income which has been a nice alternative. I'm a teacher at Pure Bar. I'm a group fitness instructor and I'm currently yes, getting my certification through the National Academy of Sports Medicine to be a personal trainer at your local club or fitness center. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it's love a, it. Cuz I I that's that's the one thing I think I've done consistently is like I've been like I'm going to go to the gym. Like if if I say I'm going to the go to the gym 3 times a week, no matter how I feel that day, no matter what's going on, I always go and if I don't, I make up for it. Uh -huh. And that has been the one consistent throughout 
you know, the past couple of years where I'm, you know, whether it's like a long winter break where I don't, I'm not, you know, doing anything per se, or summers or now, you know, that's yeah. so I'm happy that I'm able to monetize that. Um, As you should. Yeah. Wow. So. There was so much there. Okay. <laughs> Let's go back. And the craziest part is I eventually did the thing that I said I didn't like, where <laughs> I defined myself by my profession. <laughs> like, <laughs> But it's true. It's hard not to fall into that trap of letting that profession, that title define who you are as a person. Trust me, I've been trying to get out of that because it's so fleeting in the grand scheme of things if you don't have anything else of substance there behind it. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's important to have that, that strong core. But back to what you were saying, I'm very excited to talk to you because like you said, you are an artist, you are creative. You're an actor, a dancer, a performer. I mean, you name it. Like, you're just so good. And you're so talented you. at your craft. And I have always admired you from that, from the moment we met. Um, and you're one of those people that watching your growth arc, like, since the moment we met to now, you know, through your college performing career and all of that. It, I've just been so proud of you so many times over the past six years. It's just been such a joy to, to watch you just shine. And I know you, which is why I know that when your industry, as you said, fell apart this past year, you know, that is devastating because you're, you as an artist, you as a creative that runs to the core of your being. And, and what has been really frustrating for me in the conversation surrounding the arts over the past year is people saying, well, well, you know, you can't work this job, so get another job. Or like, you can't, okay, well, you can't, you can't do this, so we're not going to put funding towards the arts. I mean, these people can go work XYZ job, become a teacher, become a nurse, whatever. The arts going to school like you did to go study and gain your expertise in something is the same as insert major here, right? Yeah. Whatever, nursing, business, <clears throat> architecture, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So to look at an artist and say, figure something else out is, is telling them that their expertise isn't valuable, doesn't matter, and it means nothing. And that has been very, very frustrating. And I would love to hear your perspective on that. Kind of, first off, if pandemic hadn't happened before the world changed, what was 2020 going to be for you? What was in the right. cards? Well, before I begin on that, let me just tell you guys how David and I met. Um, oh, that's a good story. Hold on. Yeah, because I think it can all tie into it. So CFPA, the Center of Fine and Performing <laughs> Arts, <clears throat> the heart of performing arts in Prince William County, Woodbridge Senior High School. I was about to, I was on my way. The, the, the next morning, my mom was going to register me at Potomac High School. But the person that I was driving with, 
happened to go to church with some girl who's in like drama and he was like hey there's like a magnet school I was like no way so that night I went online and I like researched stuff on YouTube and I hear this dude singing all of me and I'm like oh, his voice is so beautiful like oh I was obsessed. like no way but I was like he's probably like a cocky like douchebag or something because he knows he's talented and whatnot so I went to school go get into choir boom he's right there I'm like oh that's the kid <clears throat> it was David, guys. Spoiler, it was David. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't hold it in. But the thing about David is that when I met him, <clears throat> I had no awareness of my voice. I was told I was tone deaf by quite a few people and was always put down about it, even though my whole life I had no problem looking like a fool. So I still tried anyway. <laughs> but at the time, I was trash. I mean, like, not even garbage, like, literal trash, okay? And I carefully listened to David in the bass section every day and tried to mimic the sound that I heard come out until I could find my own voice. So I heavily attribute the place that I'm at with my voice and the comfortability to David and his level of guidance and the fact that he wasn't that douchebag that I anticipated him to be, the fact that he was an accepting, kind, warm person, him and DJ Godinez, both of those people constantly motivating me, pushing me to be my best self, eventually gave me the confidence to audition for musical theater schools, to trust in myself, especially after Beauty and the Beast, talking yeah. to, you know, you, your family, other people who gave me that motivation and, you know, faith. Otherwise, I had no idea what I was doing. But lo and well, behold, yeah. Well, I'm just going to say, like, one of the first conversations I remember us having together, it might have been the first conversation we ever had, it was you, like, coming up to me in the choir room. This might have been the first day of school, maybe, like, soon thereafter. And just blatantly saying what you just said. Like, it's not like you were secretly doing that. You came up and you said, hey. So like, yada, 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 I saw all of me. I love blah, blah, blah. And I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to read music. And so I'm just going to sit here and kind of, if you see me leaning back while we're singing, it's because I'm listening to you and I'm going to copy you. So just FYI. And I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> Because nobody talked, like people in high school, people don't really talk to each other unless they have to. So I was probably really touching <laughs> to see this random kid and just, wow. But it was fun. But that's what I was saying earlier with the growth. Because we go from that then to where you are now. Insert clip of Usman singing here. Like, it's insane. I mean, not only do you know how to read music and actually follow a melody now, you, you exceed beyond that. By, by scores and scores and you have such a beautiful voice and you're so talented. So any, if anybody's ever wondering if you can teach somebody how to get better with singing, the truth is yes, you can. But you know, what do you, what do you remember? What do you remember about that time, high school? That, that time of all of us together in that choir room? What, what did you take away from that? You know, I have to say the choir room solely like with Mr. Godinez was one of the few places where I felt that we were, you know, like when, when we performed in there, it was beyond just that room. It was, it was beyond even a stage. Like it felt like we were performing for the entire world. I mean, I have like videos of me just like looking in awe at you and Daylan, just like improvising on the piano, because to me, especially it was so new. 
And seeing people sing like that and do things like that and think about music in that way with that level of confidence, I had never been exposed to. And most importantly, having a teacher who didn't just like say things and was like, yeah, you have to meet my generational standard, but rather reaching us at where we were at and seeing us where we were and trying to push us beyond. I mean, like mm-hmm. if, if I were in the position that I'm in now, looking back at someone who was like me in high school, I don't know if I would have had the patience that a lot of you guys did with me. Cause I had a lot of flubs, a lot of mess ups, a lot of things where I was like a weaker link, especially being in like a group like Vike Tones, being in like the higher choirs. There was a lot of things that I wasn't ready for at that point. Um, but with you all trusting me, I felt like I was able to push myself and eventually made it to that point and made mm-hmm. it to you know where I, I was an actual, um, member uh, uh, affecting the better sound of the group rather than being, you know, an issue. Because that's the thing. If you're off pitch, you're a wrench inside of a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're messing everything up. So, you know, those times I, I treasure that the most, especially Mr. Godinez, because he's one of the few teachers that really, really, you know, gave me chances that no other teacher thought to. Um, And gave me responsibilities that had, you know, had me rise above what I thought I was capable of in the moment, which is the reason why I got into the school that I got into, which is the reason why I got the opportunities that I did, you know, and so uh, to to continue on into, you know, inching towards 2020 and what it was when I when I got to school, I was initially on a full ride, but then one of the programs got shut down because Betsy DeVos cut funding for the Perkins program. So, um, you know, lo and behold, shout out. <laughs> you know, um, so, so I have student debt now. <laughs> I say it. <laughs> I, I know. Shout out Betsy. Hey girl. Thank you. Hey girl. <laughs> you know. Um, but I, you, my, my first couple of years, very tough. I didn't land big opportunities, but every opportunity that I did, I made the best out of it. I mean, I remember I was in like the ensemble of my first show and I like during my rehearsals, I was on backstage. I didn't even have an account because I was like, I'm not going to pay for an account. I just looked for the casting directors, stocked them on like Google and other places and would email like their associates and just emailed like so many people. Eventually I got a call for the Prince of Egypt and that yeah. didn't go, go anywhere, but they called me in for like the dirty dancing tour. I was like, yeah. And when I went there, there was an open call for Mean Girls on Broadway. And I was like, no way, this is it. I auditioned and I got a call back, then another call back, then another call back. Then I was in the final three. Like it was like so close, didn't happen. Thankful that it didn't happen. At the time I wasn't, but you know, that, that happened, then more auditions happened. And I was like, I need to keep, keep trying. Even if I'm not getting the opportunities at school, I need to keep pushing myself, you know, and I would wait at like, you know, I would get there at like 6am to put my name on a non-equity list. The doors would open at 10. Um, and mind you, I would take a bus from v- Virginia at like 3am. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it would be like a no sleep night, but just to maybe be seen. Um, and I was getting past these open calls, which f- f- felt great. And when I got back to school, that confidence translated over. So I started to do better in my classes. I started to do better in shows, um, got more other opportunities. I didn't land summer stock work, which is like the big thing for like musical theater kids. Like you work at these like rep places where you'll do like four to six shows and you know, you're playing a whole bunch of roles, but I, I didn't fit the traditional like look for most of those shows. So I think 
you know, I mean, unless it was like legally blonde and they needed Sandeep Padamadan, like, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember, I remember when we were hanging out, this month, this was around the time that you were doing that, that Mean Girls audition. And we were talking about that role. Yeah, Kevin G, man. Mm-hmm. It was problematic. I mean, it yeah. is. And we were, <laughs> we were having that discussion. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I, that, that's why I'm thankful that it didn't happen because I, I, you know, now I'm, and you know what? I want to touch back. I want, I'm going to get back to why Mean Girls was important, but let me take you through a little bit more development. <laughs> so, take me there, build yeah. it. So those, those summers when I wasn't working, it was the same kind of thing as now where I was like, what am I doing? So I was working, I was doing like moving jobs and the people that I was working with were like out of prison, like doing, like it was a lot of different walks of life and I didn't really fit in with the crowd, but it was like, I was like, I need to do work somehow. So I was doing manual labor, doing a lot of tasks that I think people think that they're too qualified for. Um, Even if you're going to school for musical theater, you can take out people's trash. You know what I mean? Like if, if you need to make money, like, so that I, I was really glad that that humanized me in a way and was able to translate over into my acting work. Cause if you're an actor that just spends time with actors, your lived experience is performance. So you're performing a performance. You're, you're not showing anything that's, you know, uh, c- compelling or real to the, to the people who are going to be watching you. That's like one of my favorite quotes is um, that acting is behaving truthfully in imaginary circumstances. Yes. And you can't you can't behave truthfully if you've never lived a life. Exactly, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Very important, very important. Um, and I'm happy that you brought that up because that's, that's one that a lot of acting teachers will bring in. So yeah, David's an actor too, guys. Don't forget, oh, okay? Y'all know LeFou? Y'all ever met LeFou? Y'all ever heard of him? Let me tell you how I revamped that character. (laughs) Yes. I said LeFou's going to sing. Absolutely. Like he's going to have vocals. Please insert a clip of that in in this, in this part. I think they they need to. And they tried, or someone in particular tried to get it, to get it to be, you know, goofy and funny. Wait, and I wasn't having any piece of it. Like I was going to sound right. So LeFou, fantastic work. Um, but as 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 an actor, I was excelling. I was doing some film stuff. I did like background work for Wonder Woman. But it yes, was all, you did. Yeah, I mean, it was all like low key stuff. Nothing that was really, um, you know, big enough. Um, and then my senior year, I right before I finally did my summer stock show, which was exciting. It was Legally Blonde, just as I told you, uh, and Mamma Mia. So I was their token. Um, you know, it was a check though. It was it was a check and a credit. Um, but I know that I don't want to work at Cortland Repertory Theater again. <laughs> <laughs> Just to make that very clear. Very, very I loved some people there, but boy, oh boy, that artistic director sucked. Anyway, um, don't want to give him a shout out. No free, no free press out here. Um, <laughs> so senior year, I, I came in and I was the lead in Sister Act and the assistant choreographer. So I was double duty. That's the first time it's happened. Um, had like the best time ever. But right after that show, I like got sick, lost my voice. And I was like, 
not getting cast or called back for anything. Like we did so many extra side projects, like a lot of concerts and things. I wasn't getting anything. And then next semester was Pippin. And this show I had been preparing for for like the past two years. I was singing th th through the soundtrack in the car and they called me back for leading player, which I was like, okay, go off, right? But the day of, and my callback was at nine, they were like, actually, like they, they, they wrote down my name next to Pippin. So I was like, <gasps> Like they had a change of heart. I called my voice teacher. I was like, voice lesson right now. Let's do it. You know, and we went through all the music. I was like, wait, I already got this. I already got all the choices too. Right, I was right. like in my class, just like going through everything. Right before I walk in the audition, they're like, hey, it was a typo. We're so sorry. So I went in and did my leading player callback. <laughs> and, you know, I was at a place where I could sing it in Patina's key. Everything except for like Simple Joy's some parts. Mm -hmm. But I was like, I'm ready to go, you know? But at that point, I didn't prepare that. So it was a bit of like a, you know, let me just like read off the paper kind of. Um, so I ended up getting the understudy for leading player, which was annoying because I was like, I'm a senior. Like, and we, we have this thing called field studies, which is like our showcase week. And when we're gone, that's the time that you need an un understudy. So why, why would you make somebody who's going to be gone an understudy when you're going to have somebody else understudy anyway? Why are you going to put me through that, you know? So I felt defeated and I felt like I was not going to do well with my work. Um, and Showcase was approaching. So Showcase is like basically what you pay for in college. You know, like it's like you're performing two shows and it's like industry professionals, agents, blah, 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 all that. Um, and I was doing uh, two songs. It was I, I Chose Right, which is like this love song. And then I was doing What, what Is It About Her from Wild Party. Mm -hmm. And two weeks before showcase, I was like, why am I presenting myself as this like drunk, angry man, just who belts, you know? So I decided to change it to hallelujah. I love her. So, and I added a dance break in it and everybody was like, why are you dancing? Like, that's, that's dumb, you know? And I was performing it and it wasn't ready. And everybody was like, yeah, like, are you sure you want to do this? You know? And there was one teacher who was like, yeah, like this, this can work, but everybody was kind of like, I don't know. And we performed it for, for the school right, right before we left. And I changed the choreo. Like I, I re-choreographed everything and I forgot it on stage. So I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is, this is going to be like a mess, but I drilled it. I made sure it was stuck. It was in there. I performed it and I broke my school's record for industry calls. So I got, <laughs> 34 agent calls as you should was, like and it changed the momentum of everything all the like depression that i went through all the insecurities that i had experienced prior were gone because now this is what i've been prepping for even though these other kids may have been getting roles this other stuff they didn't have the real because i went into those meetings saying hey i did mean girls bands visit blah 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 i'm in these auditions blah, you know I, I i can be in this show i can be in that show i, I was ready i had everything set and it was fantastic. I mean, I had an array of agents to choose from where it was, it was kind of like my option. Right. Yeah. And I was going in, like, I went in for Beetlejuice. I was in final callbacks for Diana. Like it was like a whole bunch of things happening. And when I got home, I found out that I, I booked this show at the, 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 the Rev, which is like a, uh, summer stock place but they only cast people in one show typically but I was in two shows so this was like the first time that's happened so I had those two shows ready for the summer I had a lab happening that I was going to get my equity card from and then after that I was in callbacks for catch me if you can at arena with Corbin Blue so I had literally my entire year until December I had five shows set like I was working 
and I was going to have my equity card. I was going to move to the city with enough money and just like choose what show am I going to be like Aladdin if I want to the prom, you know what I'm saying? Like it was options and boom. <laughs> and now, now I'm talking to my uncles, my aunts, and they're like, what did you go to school for? And <laughs> I'm like, I liberal arts. <laughs> I have nothing to show for it. Uh, nothing, not nothing. Right. But, you know, you know my, my agents have been sending me things and I've been getting calls. I've been, you know, it's awesome stuff. And I still, I, like, I have an agency and I left myself at a good place so that once this is over, I can pick up back into a close enough place. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've done, like, I did like a dance project. I did a concert at, at, at the Rev, which was really nice. And right now, actually, I'm doing this film that I got a large grant for, um, which is essentially an ode to what I'm doing now. So basically the, the film opens, it's, it's, so it's, the theme is the Grimm Brothers tale. So I'm doing it to take on Goldilocks and it opens, a guy comes in with his uke, puts it down at the table and puts a couple of coins in the jar. He makes a decision that he needs to get, get a different job where he, he makes more money. Tries for one job, it's, it's not the right one. Another one, it's not the right one. Third one is bright, he takes the job, but at the end we close in with a shot on the uke at what cost, right? Yeah. So that's been a dilemma that I've been having where I, I was working at this homeschool for, for, for a while, teaching kids and both, oh my God, those kids, man. <laughs> I said, y'all don't know, man. Yeah, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you for, for really telling this story, really explaining what <clears throat> the musical theater track experience was like at Ithaca and what what kind of work you're doing, what you're setting yourself up for, and then how set up you were to just sky, like shoot out of a cannon and the abruptness by which that fell apart overnight. Because I want people to understand that your story is one of how many millions so many. in now, this community that and, are experiencing and, this and it's, it's devastating. Because yeah. you are in the, you're in the arts. You are, it, there's no more vulnerable job than to leave yourself bare and to fully embody a character and dive into a story and tell that story. And not and, have a consistent concept. Exactly. And you, yeah. <laughs> That's also very vulnerable. <laughs> that is, that is very vulnerable. So it's just, your year was set. And that's the thing that's, but here's the thing with you that throughout that entire story and throughout the time that I've known you, you have always just spearheaded ahead and had the belief in yourself and in your abilities. And if you didn't think that you had the abilities, you figured out a way to gain those abilities. And that is how you find success. And that after all of this is over and you're able to get back into your grind there's just no chance that you won't be successful. Like with that mentality and that talent, there's just no, there's no way. I hope so. And let me tell you, like the, the biggest thing that, well, there's two things. One, one is like being out of, conditioning 
like not having dance classes. So what I've learned, like the actual percentage, when you're out of physical activity for two weeks, you lose 40% of the muscle mass that, that you had. Uh, so it goes that quickly, right? And when you're talking about dance training being like, you know, in, in that alignment, that core like engagement, and also just the, the pickup skills, it goes so quickly. And those wounds, they will look at your headshots and ask you to leave. You could have waited the entire day. You could have flown out, driven, whatever, be in that room, go, gone through the entire combo, everything. And they just look at your headshot and you're gone. Right. You know, so it's, it's that no matter how much preparation. And the other thing on the um, <clears throat> agent side is one of the biggest questions is how many people do you represent? And then how many people are working? Right. So you'll, you'll have most agencies are have like 200, 250. Right. And, you know, it, you also want to know how many agents are representing all those people. Luckily, I have six in, 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 the, in the city, but they have about 250, 300 clients. At the time that I auditioned, they had about 180 working. Now they have none. So the thing is, luckily, I'm still getting, I'm still getting some calls because there's some openings, you know, despite all the client loyalty that they've had for people who have been bringing in them, bringing in coin for years. Right. But the people who have agents that have two people in the office, you know, they graduated college and they, they're not getting the attack because they were under the impression that they were amongst 100, maybe like 75 people that they're, they're going to be constantly applying for because everybody else has a consistent job, a consistent tour, some TV show, something happening right now. They're not even going to look to apply for them. But now all the opportunities are getting picked up by everybody who ever wanted to be an artist. And now TikTok people can apply to be in SAG. The Screen Actors Guild. I saw that. Yeah, that people have had to pay, you know, equity and SAG, those two unions. Like equity, it takes, I mean, it's, you can research all of the requirements, but some people, they, they spend, you know, five to 10 years working on just getting that card just so that they can get into those rooms. And these people are getting it based off of TikTok, which not to discredit their work, but, you know, it's, it's crazy how much power trends have now compared to people who have spent, you know, money, hours, and time into genuine craft, uh, where something more materialistic and quick can, you know, be more compelling to a larger audience. Yeah. And that's really expedited this year because of the fact that everybody was inside and looking for entertainment. <clears throat> so TikTok obviously blew up over mm -hmm. the past 12 months. And I mean, the impact that the Grammys were last night and the impact that TikTok has had on the music industry is yeah. astronomical. Right? I mean, artists are, are writing songs now <clears throat> for the sole purpose of making sure that they are viral on TikTok. Yeah. If you notice, anybody listening, if you listen to any of your faves, check how long the songs are compared to how long they were five years ago. Yeah, I guarantee we're looking at the the two fifteen to two forty five mark at this I bet point. Bet you got a nice one minute cut in there just to fill that time frame. <laughs> right. Bet you and got it. <laughs> so it's just uh, it's really it's having an effect yeah. on all levels of the industry. But I will say the rap album category. It was all old heads there. That's what I was happy about. It was that was know, a good category. That, that was the Grammys. The Grammys last. I always have thoughts on the Grammys because like, <laughs> that's like you know my so Super Bowl. Though, that, that that should make me sad. No, it's, uh, that's the thing. You're gonna come away from every uh, award show 
whether your faves won or didn't is going to dictate how you feel about it. But regardless of that, I have like the Grammys for years have obviously, um, it's like been a topic of conversation. Um, and, and last night was, was an example of a lot of different things with them. Um, like Beyonce and Megan Thee Stallion, you know, they had the night really in terms of like having the biggest night and as happy as I was to see it. Cause you know, you know how I feel about Beyonce. Um, and as much as I love that, she should have broken that record a long time ago because yeah. she I mean, has won, she's, she's won a major category one time, one time. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she has the most Grammys. And let's because, talk about Nikki though too. Oh, well, you we could go it, down. You could go down the list I know, of before artists. We give it, I just want to take the time because I know people are, but I still want to say, Nikki. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> listen, we would not have Megan Thee Stallion. We would not have a you lot. You wouldn't have Cardi. You wouldn't have Cardi. You wouldn't have Meg. You wouldn't have Doja Cat. You wouldn't yeah. have um, a lot of the, the smaller, like Cash Down, all these other yeah, people yeah. without Nikki. Nikki, and again, Nikki is the better rapper of uh, like, just, she's the mother right but i'm saying she, she hasn't she she hasn't won any grammys has she right nope yeah no, but she also got blacklisted from the grammys for a hot second there because of her iconic roman's revenge performance when she showed up with the pope and had the exorcism on stage and saying oh come all ye faithful while floating backwards um all that stuff but I just, I'm tired of, it feels like Groundhog Day with the Grammys where you get a black woman dominates the year, right? And then they win, they sweep their genre category. So all the R&B awards, you got them. But as soon as you enter the main four categories, whitewashed immediately like billy it happens every single know her song bro. <laughs> it happens every <laughs> single year and then you get the white <laughs> artist standing up state on stage saying that the black artist deserved it more which everybody in the room knows it's just again we do this every year what is going on it, it just to claim and then they they cover themselves by claiming the whole Beyonce, you won the record tonight for most Grammys. That's how they cover their. I'm gonna ass. let you finish, but Beyonce. Right, they cover their ass that way, but the, that's a record acquired off of wins from genre categories, not from the main four. You keep her shut out of those. The fact that Lemonade didn't win Album of the Year, please. Now that's See yeah. The door. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, but that also ties into the manipulation of a capitalistic society on artists. You know, they benefit from it. Their their culture, the 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 fun thing that that they do when they're hanging out, when they don't know how to fill the space with anything, they play music, they watch shows, Netflix and chill, all that stuff. You know, like they they need these artists, but then they pretend like they don't. When when it comes down to the money, when it comes down to the credit, when it comes down to the real support. Because you could support, say, yeah, I love you. It, I'll post you on my story that lasts for 24 hours. But <laughs> are you supporting my, my pockets? You know what I mean? Like, are you bringing in the appreciation and the cultivation that's necessary? Um, and, you know, that just goes to show. <clears throat> goes to show, especially during a pandemic, how much they really needed us. And they really need us. 
but at the same time being somebody who went to who went through the process there are a lot of folks like there there's this one girl i met she auditioned for 24 schools you know how expensive those applications are her mom flew her out to all those locations bought her hotels at all these places she did all of this to go to all the money so these yeah. kids they don't uh, there there are some kids that you know it's it's not like like they're they're it's it's almost like they're following a a a trend because it's something that they can afford they're not artists necessarily because that's they 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 are a channel of something you know in that way or they're trying to tell a story that hasn't been told rather they're they're just trying to do what the other people are doing so i can understand I, and i mean th- this is me trying to un- understand we're, we're really where the the idea of like oh artists blah, blah, you know but that's that's such a small portion of all of it so you know i mean that's just me playing dev- devil's advocate in in a little bit so so that i can you know be be on the side of the people who don't who have been exposed to people who are like that and who don't really understand what the full depths of you know the artist world is there are a lot of people that are artists who are all the bad stereotypes of an artist and that's very prominent and there are people who will ride the system who will just you know catch their unemployment checks and do nothing you you know like that Mm -hmm. that is a very real thing but at the same time, that does not excuse all the other artists who truly are contributing a lot, who are telling stories that have not been told, that are necessary, and that are changing the influence, like through their influence, the framework of, you know, social culture. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I'm telling you, David, college, college hmm. is a business. There are some people who are inside of the college so that other students can be there on scholarship. Because those people who are in the college will pay full tuition, right? Yeah, that's true. And that's like it, it's there's in in all schools that that is a very common thing, um, you know. And I wish the best for them, and you know, I really hope that they can find their happiness within their craft. Um, and I'm not saying that there isn't space for them. Um, I'm just saying that when it comes to the same privileged people who are telling the same privileged story. What you doing? Right. You know, like for instance, the band's visit, Middle Eastern people. But I had a friend who was going to the equity call and a whole bunch of white equity actors took up all the audition slots. Because if you're equity, you get priority on a slot. So the non-equity people of color couldn't audition for the band's visit because the white people who really liked the music and thought it was really fun to listen to and trendy came and took up their positions. People like that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, that, that's with, you know, all the different layers and kind of uh, backroom knowledge that you need to know in order to of get course. into the rooms that you need to get into. Of and again, you wouldn't know any of that unless you have an inside perspective as you do. Yeah, you've enlighten t- y'all on some of that. No, no, <laughs> well, I want to touch on it because you've mentioned this a couple of times already about tokenism and roles that kind of, they just play on stereotypes and, the, and uh, just microaggressions within roles, within scripts, within pitches. What's your experience been with that? And where do you see that going as we head into the future now after a summer where <clears throat> a lot of people were forced to very quickly come to terms 
with what a lot of communities of color have been saying for a very long time. You know, I'm happy that you bring that up. I, uh, I want to read you a character description that I got for NCIS New Orleans recently. Um, so I was called in for the role of Faisal. 27 <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, y'all can't see the video, but <laughs> um, he's acting this up right now. His father is one of the most dangerous men in the Middle East, but Faisal is not in the family business. <laughs> I, we can stop there. We can stop there. So <laughs> this kind of shit is still happening. It's, it's everywhere. If you look at especially film and television, the producers, the, 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 the people with the money, whether or not the directors or you know, the, the few people who are like on the, on the poster childs aren't, they're all white and they're all men, mostly. But they're almost always white, right? So they're speaking from the white perspective. And the reason why that's important is because a lot of people are like, oh, look, there's a person of color in this script. But what is the function, the dramatic function of this character? Is, 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 is he being used from the white perspective? So, so for instance, right, when you look at Legally Blonde, I love that example, you have these, the, all the people of color, if you look at the script, are wrote, written with broken English. So when, when you look at that, they're used as an exotification for the sake of comedy. And the joke then becomes the fact that they're different, right? And a lot of the times when you look at these new shows that are coming out on like Netflix, blah, 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 here and there, they'll have characters in as lead roles, but the, the, their character, their personality is their ethnicity or, you know, the, the thing that they f f fall into. It's like the character is a, a, a gay person. It's not a person who has this moral dilemma, blah, 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 and is also gay. It's a gay character. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it's like a Muslim character who's dealing with being Muslim. You know, it's not like they're just dealing with their life and also entangling what it's like to be a Muslim man while they do it. No, it's it's the fact that they are, and that is it, that that is from the white perspective, because it's what white people have been exposed to, and they're just computing that out. So I feel at a loss currently because it seems that the way to get into the door and the way to get into a lot of these offices just to make a relationship is to send in these tapes, is right. to play Faisal, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Is, is to do these kinds of things for the sake of them seeing my face. And then it's like, like what I've been battling with is like, should I, should I get to the point where I have the option to say no or should I say no before I even try? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. But that, even then, that's like, a good question. Yeah. it feels wrong to even say those words, to even read this script. But at the same time, it's like, who, who am I? I mean, I know who I am and I understand that, you know, I, I hope to be around people who will continuously s support who that is. But so many people are trying to do this same, same thing, that there's so many compromised, like it's, it's like a choosing your battles kind of thing. But in the case that you're choosing your battles, what foundation are you standing on? You know, like look at your body of work. So that's why people, you know, and thankfully Riz Ahmed, he got a nomination. Yes, for he did. Act. He is one of my biggest role models because he never accepts those roles. He doesn't take a stereotype whatsoever. But if you also look at his films, he's acting alongside all white people pretty much, you know? So <clears throat> he's still 
stuck within the system, but he's doing, he's working at his peak in the same way. So th that, that kind of balance, though it's frustrating, it's necessary in order to make a revolution. Um, I, I find you have to speak like at the language of the discourse community. Like you, you, you have to speak at, you know, what, um, you know, the, the oppressor's language in order to get across. Um, because <clears throat> in a lot of these places, no, no one else is there by your side. You'll find even people of color will be against you because they're so indoctrinated by this way of speaking and this way of being and this way of thinking. Um, e even at school, like the uh, upperclassmen at first, when we would talk about what we found to be offensive and the concept of microaggressions, we were always told like, you guys are just doing too much. Like that's not, you shouldn't be offended by that. Like that's not even a thing that's not, you know, by the people of color. And that is one of the scariest things because it's like you would think that if you speak out your truth, you would have at least a couple of people on your side, but even they are a part of the system. So I feel that <clears throat> the approach I have is laying low, but holding my truth, um, mm -hmm. getting myself into the room so I can speak to the writer myself. You know what I'm saying? Talking to the director and finding ways where I can access a way to create change, but then also create the work that I want to be doing. Um, and finding people who create work that resonate in that way. But the challenge, once again, is like money and also the fact that there isn't much work. So a lot of people who are young artists like me are struggling because there's that moral dilemma of like, I only want to do this kind of work, but there isn't much work at all. Right. You know, but now we can touch on Mean Girls. What makes me happy is now that I've been able to get this confidence through talking with people, having this lived experience, I never want to do a show like Mean Girls. Because why would I put myself through that eight times a week? Why would I want to put my, you know, is a, a paycheck is not, if, if I want to get a job, if I want to work on a national tour, I want to do a show like Aida, right? Like yeah. I, I, I want to, like, that's where I'll put my energy because what I speak into existence, I can make real. You know, I don't have to say, oh, but, you know, if that doesn't work, I could do Aladdin because like I, I need to have a job to have a check. Like, no, I, if it's a check, I can do it my own way. If it's, you know, an, an artistic opportunity, I'll do the ones that I want to do. And that level of confidence gives m myself my own power back. It's, it's no longer like I'm that ensemble contract is the, the, the most like important thing, but rather I recognize that my value is more than the paycheck that they're even giving me. It's my presence. Mm. <clears throat> it's you know it's also yeah. i'm endorsing your project by being a part of it yeah i'm putting my name to it um and i'm thankful that i was able to go through college and get that understanding that i have so much value just by being in the space whether or not other people choose to see it now i am aware of it and if i exude that and if i hold myself with that value that's the only way that people will interact with me Whew. You know what write, I'm Did y'all write that down? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, that's a mentality that takes years to form and arrive at. That takes years. And you, you touched on something um, earlier that is something I've been thinking about a lot is that, you know, currently 
a lot of these conversations when you point out, you were, you were mentioning pointing out to the upperclassmen microaggressions and them telling you, you're doing too much or no, it's not. That has always been so bewildering to me because your perception does not outweigh my experience. Mm. And I think so many times the opposite mentality is applied. That what my perception is the rule here. Yeah. Not, not what you're telling me that you've experienced, your perspective. <laughs> not, like that. I'm offended because you're offended. Exactly. <laughs> and I think, I think that's something that people really need to try and unlearn because it, it's the, the source of a lot of contention in all, across all businesses, across all of them. Yeah. Ooh, everything you just said was so good. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel a bit like it was kind of teeter-tottering because that's where I'm at, where I'm still trying to figure out like- But that's you know, what's so, that's honest. That you, that's not a clear cut line. Cause it, it's hard to navigate right now. Cause yeah. you know, it's, it's like, do, do we, we don't really have those people, you know, like how we only have one Ava DuVernay. Like we only have one Mahershala Ali. We, we have few people who are in that position that you know that once you're in their production, you're safe. Like you, you know it, you know? Yeah. But there's few people that I, I feel like, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's so hard to open up and trust because once you say the wrong thing in front or the wrong thing in front of the, you know, wrong person, like you're somebody who's hard to work with on set. You're right. somebody who's, you know, uh, gets too involved in the pr process that isn't his, doesn't stay in his lane. You know, somebody who is, is not easy to work with. And when that happens, you get blocked off from even trying to meet Ava DuVernay or any of those other people. Right. And it, it sucks. <laughs> it's tough. It is really tough. And that's why you see so many people just choose. So, you know what? Screw it. Like I'm taking that role. I'm taking this. I'm going to shut up about it. And that's how then this cycle gets perpetuated and it continues. Yeah. This culture of silence and just not really saying anything about it. Yeah. And, and it's tough. It is not easy. I, I, I just yeah. I can't imagine. Truly. It, it's tough. And I mean, I am inspired though by people like Riz. Um, and yeah. But the, the, the biggest question, you know, and it's one thing that always frustrated me when I heard it, but it's a real thing. If you want to be picky and choosy about your work, you better have another job to find money. Yeah. So that's why I'm getting on into this personal training track, get, get, getting into this group fitness work, because then I can subsidize my living doing something that still makes me happy. And when I ex expend myself as an artist, I'm only doing the work that speaks to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the kind of thing that so many of my role models, like Daniel Day-Lewis, he's so picky and choosy about his work. Heath Ledger, when, when, when he was alive, he would take long periods in between work so that when he would go back to a film, he was so hungry for it that he brought everything to it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it, I mean, and there's also people who do a lot of work and it's all great. Like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, he's always doing a film. <laughs> He's always doing something. You know, he's the highest paid actor. Like, yeah. So he's, he's, he's always doing something. You know, but there's so many hit or misses with him, though. You know what I'm saying? But you Honestly. know what doesn't hit or miss? 
That paycheck. The paycheck. <laughs> the check. The hey, check. Every time. The check clears every exactly. time. Did you see the the fucking video of him? This was a couple months ago, where his he had to get to a doctor's appointment, and his gate broke. Really? His like electronic gate like hit the, into his house, and he literally just got out of his car and he just like ripped the gate out of the oh my god cement wall yeah. and just like threw it to the side. And was Imagine like, not. I like, gotta go. <laughs> that's insane to me. Like he has he has enough money to think you know. Um, money how did he rip a gate out of a brick wall he's like a tank insane insanity insanity but i mean yo honestly these stimulus checks i'll be at the dollar store saying where are your two dollar items at (laughs) like (laughs) These stimulus checks. Thank God for money bag, Joe. Honestly, <laughs> you know what's been taking me out? All the all the tweets that are like Kamala and Joe on their Snap and Instagram, and it's just like pictures of people walking across doorways. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's 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 the battle, you know, where you, you you could do a lot of work that doesn't really matter quality over quantity. It's I mean, it's 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 a matter of how you want to s- spend your life, uh, which makes me uh, question a lot of the things that I do, um, because like now, for instance, if I work out, I I don't want to do a workout that I know is going to be subpar. I only want to do things that I can do excellently. That way I can carry myself with excellence consistently, you know? And when I choose to make a challenge, I can challenge myself in an excellent fashion. You know, it's, it's a, that, that, that level of class allows me to be on top of everything that I do. Um, yeah. And if I find myself getting frustrated constantly at one thing, that'll carry over. I'll be frustrated at everything, pushing in my chair, brushing my teeth, trying to cook food, whatever it is, right? But if I, take a moment to handle it with ease. I'll handle everything with ease, you know? Um, And I've been trying to put that into my work too, where like when I sing, I won't do it when I have like no voice, (laughs) when I know I'm not not gonna hit those notes. (laughs) I'll wait until I'm ready and, you know, prepared in, in those moments. Well, a lot of what we've been talking about so far um, really ties in nicely with a quote that you wrote to me that is still hanging on my wall six years later when I graduated from high school. You gave me this note. Let me see if I can see it from here. Hold on. It says, oh my God, I can't read it. Hold on. Oh, the key to a happy life is understanding that you're never in control. Bask in the chaos and live. You wrote that to me on my high school graduation and I still have that piece of paper and it hangs on my wall and it has hung on my wall for six years it was in my dorm it was in my first apartment now it's here in my other apartment um but I just that's the mentality again and that energy that you've always kept since I've known you that is going to bring you so much success inevitably like it can't not I needed it on my wall because I needed a reminder because you wrote me that because you literally know I am not that way. <laughs> I'm like, 
<laughs> very down. type A. Very <laughs> type A, which is great, which is fantastic. Yeah, um, it has worked for me many times in my life, but um, it's also listen, can be a hindrance. When you got that cookie in the bush, I'm telling you, it was the chaos that got you that cookie. <laughs> it was the chaos. You know what? First of all, I forgot that you knew that story. Yes. You know um, how proud I was, David? You know how happy I was when you told me? <laughs> how elated that made me? How would I ever forget that? Am I, I gonna, am I going to leave this? <laughs> am I going to leave this in this episode? Hey, it's vague enough that I don't think... I mean, only the person, the, the, the beholder of the cookie would know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and those who need to, to know. It's one of those, if you know, you know. There's, oh, yep, there's a handful of people and I could, I could list them on one hand. <laughs> no, that's yeah. fantastic story, though. Uh, but that's the idea, you know, you just go with the flow, follow the momentum. And uh, that's what I've been doing, even though it's been slow and it's been it's been some long days. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, I sleep in a lot more than I want to. And, you know, I battle with the weight of my blanket in the morning, which is a very real thing. Um, and oh, it, yeah. it's tough because it's like when you wake up, like, what am I going to wake up and do? in the same house that I've been in for the past couple of weeks, <laughs> months. It's true. It is true. Uh, I had a, <clears throat> I had a really hard time with that once I was, you know, I started my, my job. This was pre pandemic. Um, do you remember you were here one of those weekends? And yeah. You were here I'm glad we didn't link up. I know, but we had no idea of knowing what was going on in the corner. I was literally like, just come back a couple of weeks yeah. from now. That'll be good. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so, you know, I'm starting this, this dream job and, and things are really going well and the momentum is strong. And then like the world changed and everything fell apart. I didn't lose my job or anything like that, but you know, situations with leases and all of a sudden I'm in my parents' basement again. And I'm like working off my laptop and you're trying to figure out, you're like trying to get your bearings of where am I in relation to that plan that I set before the world changed? Because I no longer recognize the terrain that I'm in right now. I don't, I don't know where I am on that track that I had mapped out so well and, and having to battle that every day. And that was really difficult at the beginning of this pandemic and, and into the summer and still is on some days. Like you said, I think it's very day by day some yeah. days you wake up and you're like, it's a great day. Here we go. Some days you wake up. What happened? Yeah. What happened? Like the other days when it was like really nice outside, mm -hmm. I was battling with myself because I was like, I really want to go outside and like do something. But then again, I was like, I don't want to move. Like I can't move. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I can't, <laughs> I can't move from this sofa. I can't get off of my phone. Yeah, it's just you've always been, you were just always so interesting to me. <laughs> you were just fascinating human being. You were hilarious. I mean, energy, like, to the point of uh, needing to, to calm you down every once in a while. It's like a little puppy. Yeah, like a little puppy, which I think I told you maybe this is pre-pandemic. Before I moved to New York, last time we, it wasn't the last time we saw each other, but one of the last times in person. Oh, when Maddie Fox and I and you and we all hung out, Kimberly. Love yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so fun. But love Kimberly. We, we were, <laughs> I told you, I, was, I said, 
you are the same person with the same energy and the <laughs> same enthusiasm, except just like, like kind of like just calmed <laughs> in a good way. Everything is still there. It is still the same, but you're not a puppy anymore. Yeah. I feel like I've matured into a nice dog. You've, a a you've nice absolutely dog. matured into a nice lap dog, just nice and calm. But I'll go out for runs. I'll play. I'll, I'll catch a ball or two. <laughs> but going back to, um, to high school real quick, or not even high school, but the, the beginnings of when you kind of got into the same friend group as all of us. Why were you so open and trusting? Are you just that way? I just feel like looking back, as we were saying earlier, well, people don't talk like that. They don't just get down. I mean, I remember talking to you about your childhood early in our friendship. And we were kids and, and talking about all different things with you, talking about your dad, talking about um, your insecurities and what you wanted to learn. That was early on. Well, I, I moved around a lot because um, my parents got divorced like in like 2006, I think. And my mom really was trying to find like, you know, a place to get s s settled. So I, I was good at meeting new people. But most importantly, um, I think now, now that I've aged to a point where I can look retrospectively and mm -hmm. with respect to what's happened, it's a matter of the trauma that my mother faced. She was... I mean, she was raised at, like, Pakistan was created uh, in 1947 in a, as, as, as an effort to make a Muslim state. And the issue with that is imams can only be men. So the men are enforcing the misogyny. So they're tying in religion with culture and making it rule. You know, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So in that way, my mom's development and understanding of self is less than and you know not understanding of like a broad perspective even though her lived experience contrasts that that's what she was br br brought up on the absence of my dad made her not really know how to relate to me and most importantly understand me so yeah. I, I i remember ever since i was young i always felt like my sisters and my mom didn't listen to me so because of that i would go outward so I would open up to people because I wasn't getting that at home. I, I you know, I, I, I felt, especially in high school, I lived a double life. Like the things that I would do, the things that I would accomplish, like all those shows, all those crazy experiences, I would have other people's parents like be like, oh my God, like you're fantastic, blah, 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 blah. And my mom would like maybe come to a show and be like, yeah, that was really good. You know what I'm saying? Cause she just <laughs> didn't understand it. Like she, and it's, it's not that she wasn't trying cause she had to work all these jobs in order to give us a house, to give me an opportunity to, to go to these schools like she was taking over both positions so this is not like mom hate but rather understanding that she's just a product of the circumstances that she was brought up on and the trauma that my dad brought upon her you know so it's, yeah. she was doing and is still doing her very best but as a product i unfortunately wasn't able to have a regular childhood or one where i had both parents uh you know consistently there supporting me throughout what I was doing. Even now, like my mom didn't really know what my major was in college until like sophomore year. Like she consistently asked me, she's like, wait, so like, what exactly are you, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Whereas like other kids, like their parents are like momagers, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're going to every audition. They know everything that's going on. I mean, yeah. I went to all of my college auditions on my own because my mom was in Pakistan taking care of her mother. Um, so, you know, it's, 
I think the, the reason why I open up so often was, especially at that age, was because I, I needed something. I needed somebody, you know, yeah. and I'm so thankful for my friends because, and thankful that they were appreciative of the, you know, vulnerability that I offered and did not use it to their own advantage in a, a destructive means, which happens to so many people. Like they, they spoil innocence in that way. So I'm thankful that I had so many awesome people like you who were willing to listen in on those things and provide support rather than judgment or, you know, any other kind of thing. It was a special group of people. And I actually um, had Natalie and Hala participate in this as well. And we were discussing how special and singular that group of people at that time was and how lucky we are that we all happened to to congregate at that time in that way um i look back on it and yeah we were kids but the connections we made and the things we talked about and what we opened up about to one another was so important it was so grown up it was real things it was real conversations i mean I met my best friends during that time and my family. Like I met Dalen during that time. I met yeah. you, I met Hala and Natalie and Maddie and Kimberly and the, you know, people that that's, that's family. That's more than, than friends. And we were so young, but it was such a special time and a special group of people. Yeah. I met a lot of great friends in high school. I'm, I'm thankful for all of them. Uh, and you know, choir really brought us all together. Uh, Vicetones, I think, was another thing that really solidified our group. Your journey with dance, how you legit became a dancer in college, yeah, so trained. Yeah, so I was I was doing this scholarship audition right right before college with Kelly Dembois. And um, I was like, tell me for real, like, what do I got to do? And mm-hmm. she was like, you clearly have like, you know, rhythm and stuff, but you have like no technique. So when you go to college, focus on that. Um, and I took that to heart. I, uh, so we, we would have like ballet, uh, we, we would have an hour break before, or an hour and a half before one, ba- our actual ballet class. So I would go to the other ballet class that was happening at the time and take their bar then do my lunch and then come back to do another class. So I was doing as much as I could. I, I joined like extra dance groups. I choreographed and stuff. I, you know, joined the dance concert. I took classes in the city. I mean, I tried to find myself in places where I was the worst in the room so that I could constantly improve from everyone else. Um, and that, you know, I would put myself in s- studios at night just to try to like make sure I nail down steps. Um, and it became like, really awesome to be in that dancer grind because you know i was i was seeing what they all go through for the smallest paycheck in the entire cast yeah all that work you know for just that and um and i hope people go watch videos of you performing and and doing all that and if you ever get the chance to see you live again once the theater's open and everything and have i not told you this since we met that I'm so excited for your opening night on Broadway and how I'm going to be sitting front row. I've been saying that to you <laughs> since the day we met because it's so true. And I, I know that day is going to come. 
or if it's not Broadway, whatever, like whatever performance it is post pandemic, whatever your moment is when your name is on the marquee, like I'll be there. It's going to be a moment. It's going to be a moment. Thank you, David. So for the last questions I, I want to ask you is a question that I've been trying to ask um, a lot of people that have done this project with. It's been a crazy year. It is a crazy time. We are all going through this, this shared experience that none of us have ever seen before. I want this to be a time capsule of this time, this entire project. So if you hit play on this, this conversation five years from now, what is it that you hope Uzman five years in the future just internally knows? And by that, I mean, not, not what job are you doing, what, not where you are in your life, but what lessons did you draw from this time that you hope in five years you just are so secure in and you know to be true? Yeah, that uh, there's the, the, the seed that is within me can be planted in any terrain and can grow and blossom. Come on now. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. And it is so true. And I have absolutely no doubt that whatever that is, is going to be exceptional and excellent because that's so, who you are.